be our uh, time of uh, praise and worship of God together. It's been good just to sing those uh, lovely songs, reminding ourselves again of the, uh, the wonderful news of the gospel. Let's pray as we uh, look at this, before we look at this passage. Father, we want to thank you again this morning uh, for your goodness to us. I want to recognise this morning, Lord, that as we sit here in this place, that you are God. Help us to be still and know that. Help us to remember that uh, it is you alone who sit enthroned on high, the one who is in authority over all creation, the one who is dictating all of the things that, uh, that happen and being worked out according to your purposes. You are the one who will ultimately bring all of history to a close. And that day we will all stand before you, having to give an account of our lives. We recognise that, uh, Father, for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we will go to an eternity with him forever and ever, an eternity filled with peace, Blessing, joy, goodness. Yet our minds also know that for those who do not know you and who have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Saviour, they themselves will go to a Christless eternity. One that your scriptures remind us will be a time that will go on forever and ever and ever. There will be no stop to it. It will be a time of torment, of suffering, and of incredible anguish. As we come to this passage this morning, we're reminded of not just our lives here today, but of what our lives are moving forward towards. And so we pray that you would be our teacher today by your Holy Spirit. Help us to reflect today on the seriousness of the ministry that you have called us to as followers of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Last Friday was Remembrance Day. Now, for many of you uh, will, uh, will have already known that. Of course, it's the, uh, the day where we commemorate the, uh, the end of the First World War in 1918 and end to hostilities that went on for more than four years where the whole world was plunged into war. The 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month has attained a special significance in those post-war years, that moment where hostilities ceased on the Western Front and it's become universally known and remembered as a day where we uh, celebrate and remember those who gave their lives in war for the cause of freedom, and of fighting for what is right and true and just in this world. During the First and Second World Wars, many men and women felt compelled to enlist in the armed forces. They were willing to give their lives in the service of their country, fighting against tyranny and evil. Today, we often don't see that kind of uh, demand on our lives. But I wonder, has there ever been something in your life, 
something in your life which you have felt absolutely compelled to participate in that has driven you, you know, beyond you know, all of your ordinary you know, routines and that sort of thing, you'd say, you know, I've just got to get involved in this. I have to be a part of this. Has it been something that has compelled you in that way, that you would be prepared to participate in it regardless of the personal cost? You know, there are many good causes around today which people decide to contribute to. Uh, there is... Um, Turn that back on again. There we go. There is causes such as these. One of the uh, familiar ones at the moment, one that's, uh, that's sort of fairly uh, popular at the moment, is a cause called Share the Dignity. Some of uh, the ladies particularly might be uh, familiar with this. If you want to know a little bit more about that, you can ask me afterwards. But uh, also organisations like Destiny Rescue, rescuing uh, particularly children from child slavery and things like that. There are child sponsorship programs around the world that you can be a part of to act, help provide you know, resources and, uh, and finance to actually see you know, children who can be educated and lifted out of their poverty in our world today. There are also you know, many charities and events that raise money to help fight diseases such as the different types of cancer or things like diabetes or even cystic fibrosis. You know, with these types of causes, people are often moved to donate. They're moved enough in their hearts to donate money and uh, perhaps in, in large amounts too to these particular causes. But rarely, I think, do people feel so compelled in their hearts to give their lives in service of such things. What would you be willing to give your life to? What would you be willing to give your life too. This passage this morning is all about giving our lives in service, about giving our lives in service not to a particular cause, but to a person, God. And in fact, all who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, all who claim to be Christians, are meant to do this. All have decided to call Jesus as their personal Lord and Saviour, who put their faith and trust in him, are required to give their whole life in service of him. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 26, we read these words of Jesus where he says this. He says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. There's no ifs, buts or maybes there, is there? Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, you know, that if we are not even prepared to love him more than those who are closest to us in this, in this world, those who are most precious to us, our closest family members, he says, if you do not love Jesus you know, more than them, you cannot be Jesus' disciple. If you do not love Jesus more than your own very life, he says, you cannot be my disciple. If you are not willing to bear your own cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not renounce all that he has 
if we have more love for the things of this world than for Jesus, we cannot be his disciple. They're pretty harsh words, aren't they? They're pretty telling words. In this passage in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at this morning how this love for Jesus, how Jesus' call on Paul's life you know, brought him to the point of realising that he had to lay down his life completely for Jesus. He had no option, he had no choice. And he gives five reasons in this passage as to why that's the case. And these same very reasons that Paul had should be the same very reasons that we should have in order to be willing to be people who are prepared to lay down everything for him, regardless of the cost. First is found in, uh, in, chapter, in uh, chapter, two, uh, chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 11 this morning. And it, is, uh, and it is this, that we have to know the fear of the Lord. Paul writes, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. The term fear that Paul is using here is not about being afraid of God. It's not about you know, sort, of, sort of having that, uh, that fear that we cannot even go anywhere you know, near him or have anything to do with him. That's not the kind of fear that Paul is speaking about here. What, is that, what he's actually speaking about is, in fact, having a proper recognition for who God is, to be in awe of God. That is the kind of fear that Paul is talking about here, to have an absolute incredible to hold God in the highest of high places in our lives to be in complete and utter awe of him in his holiness in his majesty in his glory in his power in his truthfulness in his faithfulness in all of his characteristics it is holding God in that very very special place that we that we hold you know the most precious things of this world in but even even beyond that means adoring God above all else in our lives. Bowing down to him in absolute humility and absolute reverence. The fear that Paul speaks about here is not only to do with the awe of God though, it also acknowledges our accountability before God. You know, in verse 10 that we looked at last week, Paul points out that we must all as believers all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. See, when it comes to the end of time, there are going to be two judgments that take place. There is going to be a judgment of, of, of all believers in Jesus Christ. We are all going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of our lives for how we have lived our lives for him. How we have contributed to the building up of his kingdom. How we have been in terms of our faithfulness to him. How we have been in terms of reaching out and uh, and seeing you know people proclaiming the gospel to them and seeing people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. How we have contributed to the building up of the body of Christ, the church. How we have helped in the unity of that and building people one another up to maturity in the faith. Jesus is going to hold us all to account for how we have lived for him. And as we saw last week, our salvation won't be on the line in that because we're already saved. But what will be on, what will be on, uh, on the table there is our rewards, our eternal rewards in heaven. 
But there will also be another judgment, which is the great white throne judgment, where, we, where we'll, all unbelievers will have to appear before God as well and give an account of their lives. But particularly in terms of their sin, because they didn't accept Jesus Christ as their, their, their sacrifice for sin, or their sin on the cross, their sin remains unpaid for. And therefore, they are going to be recipients of God's rightful justice and wrath on their sin. And that means they will be cast away from God's presence forever and ever and ever. And the thought of that is horrifying. And it should be horrifying and terrifying for everyone sitting in this place today. Recognizing that there will be people who will have to go into an eternity. This is, this is not going to stop, folks. This is going to go on forever and ever and ever and ever with no end. Where Jesus speaks about there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. It will be horrible. It will be a, a place of absolute despair and anguish and torment and suffering. Jesus himself preached about that. And that alone should give us reason to, to, to take note of, of, of what he says. Because as the one who defeated death and rose again from the dead and who is now seated on high in all of his glory, the one who is, has all truth and knows everything about everyone, who knows the beginning from the end, what he says is, is, is what will happen. There are no ifs, buts or maybes. So we will help, all be held to account. But Paul knew that he himself will be held to account before Jesus. And because no, he knows that he's going to be held to account, he's got this healthy fear of God's judgment upon him, of Christ's judgment on him for how he lives his life for Jesus. And so he's going to do his best, his utmost, to persuade men about the truth and the reality of the gospel. Paul was driven to this because of a knowledge of the fear of the Lord. But more importantly, what we need to understand is that Paul was driven to this particular ministry because of the love of Christ which compelled him. We see that in verse 14 of our passage this morning. He says, for Christ's love compels us. That word compel actually means to take hold of, to actually grip, to grasp us. Has Christ's love done that for you? Has Christ's love so gripped you, so grasped you in your whole entire existence, your whole fibre of your body in such a way as that it now compels you to want to do everything for him? Because that's how Paul felt. You want to understand a little bit about what it means, this, this word compel? We see it in Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9 where the prophet says, But if I say I will not mention him, that is God, or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire that is shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot Jeremiah had the word of God so impressed upon his heart that he couldn't do anything but speak it. 
That's how God's, how Christ's love needs to compel us, folks. That the love of Christ needs to so grip our very lives in such a way that we cannot but, we cannot but help live for Him and speak out for Him in our lives. The reality that, that Christ loved Paul enough to die for him, you know, moved Paul in such a way that he would devote himself fully to Christ and serving him. He was convinced of this truth, that Christ died for all, including him, and so in effect, everyone had died. That is, that Christ died so that we, so that we could die to self and live completely for Christ. We see that in verse 15. Where it says, and he has died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The very lives we live today in this flesh, in this mortal body, we should be like the Apostle Paul and live for Christ who gave himself for you and for me, who died for our sakes and was raised again. See, Paul's giving of his life so that people would come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ was motivated, was motivated you know, by Christ's love for him and for his love for mankind. And if we're to have a similar passion to Paul in preaching the gospel, then we are to, indeed, we're to, uh, you know, we're, to, we're to gain this greater understanding of Christ's love for us. If we're going to you know, get out there and, and preach the gospel and endure hardship for, uh, for the sake of the gospel, then, folks, we need to have this love of Christ that so grips and so captivates our lives that it compels us to do that because we won't do it any other way. We need to ask God to allow it to take hold of us in the same way as it took hold of the Apostle Paul in his life. Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in, in Ephesians three sixteen to 19, Paul speaks of it. You know, Paul could have, have prayed so many different things for the, for the churches in his day. I mean, the amount of persecution and suffering that the, that the Christians were experiencing in Paul's day, the hardships and, and, the, and the difficulties that they had, the poverty that, that, that they experienced, Paul could have prayed for, for all those kinds of things. But the one thing he chose to pray for the most about the, for the church was that, that they would gain a greater and deeper understanding of who God is and God's love for them. Now, doesn't that say something to us of the importance of understanding that in a deeper way in our hearts today? If that was you know, the priority on Paul's heart for the prayer of the church, we need to be praying this for one another, that God's love would so captivate our hearts. As we begin to grasp that love that Christ has for us, it should motivate us then, it will motivate us then to speak more boldly for him, to serve him more wholeheartedly in our lives and to die to self and live for him.
third reason that Paul gives is that, uh, that Christ's death has actually changed him. Christ's death changes us. We see that in verse 17 of our passage this morning, where he says, For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Christ's death changes us. In fact, Christ's death was Paul's inspiration and it should be ours. But more importantly, what it did is it provided the means by which we can actually live for Christ. We can actually die to self and live for him to be the people he's called us to be. Because those who are in Christ, those who have responded to Christ, who have responded in repentance and faith to his saving message, to his saving grace, that, uh, that we ourselves have been given this new perspective. That we're no longer bound to the selfish desires. We've no, but we've been given this new perspective about the world in which we live and about ourselves. That we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. You see that in verse 16. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. No one from a worldly perspective anymore. Even though we were once regard, we regarded Christ according to, to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Being a Christian, folks, requires a completely different set of new criteria for, you know, for us today. A different set of criteria for evaluating um, what is valuable and what is true and what is right in our world and in our lives today. And the perspective we've been given is, is Christ's love. People, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what they do, no matter what their backgrounds, no matter what you know, social standing they have or anything like that, all people matter to God. All people matter to God. I was reading an article uh, um, um, last night, actually, on the uh, on the uh, news, and it was uh, an article about a uh, fellow yesterday who was uh, who was gunned down, a part of the the mob down there in, in on the Gold Coast, the bikey gangs on the Gold Coast. He looked a horrifying, a terrifying character. He really did, and lived a life I I, I imagine of of untold. Sin and evil and wickedness. As I reflect on this passage and the love that God has for us, for everyone, even that person God loves. And there are, as we look around us today, we, you know, we've got all these different people here in this congregation and we all, from time to time, we'll come across people who we find it hard to love, don't we? But yet God loves them. And they are just as deserving of God's love as we are, folks. Or should I say undeserving of God's love as we are? And this is what captivated Paul's heart too. He saw the love that Christ had for him, but not only for himself, but for all of mankind, all of humanity. And so he was compelled then through that love to actually proclaim, to persuade people to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
People, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like, no matter what they do, are viewed by God enough or significant enough to die for, to send his son Jesus to die for, that they might be reconciled to him. And so we folks have got to view people in the same way. Amen? Yeah. Fourth point that we find today is that the Paul says that compels him to uh, to keep you know pressing ahead with this ministry for the gospel is that that he has been reconciled to God. We have been reconciled to God. We see that in verse eighteen of our passage. And to be reconciled means to have a peace and a harmony which is uh, which is you know brought between two parties that are in opposition or that are that are warring against each other that are enemies with each other. That's what to reconcile means. And what the Bible teaches us is there is a hostility between God and man. And this hostility is brought about because of our sin. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Now, the prophet is talking about this in the context of the people of God of that day, the people of Israel who were in exile. And he's saying, the reason you're suffering this, the reason you're undergoing God's judgment is because of the fact that your sin, your iniquity has separated, brought separation between you and God. But it is not just the Israelites, it is all of mankind. For Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 3 says, And you, speaking of all of the Gentiles, all of the non-Jewish people of this world today, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is saying here to the Ephesians, he's saying there was a time where you were separated completely from God. And or you were children of wrath. All that you were ready, all that you were going to inherit was the, the wrath, the rightful, just wrath of God for your sin. But he says, but, but Christ Jesus has brought you near. Has brought you near to God. Has reconciled you to him through his death and resurrection. It is not God that is reconciled to man, but man that is reconciled to God because man is the offender. We said in Isaiah 53, 6 and Romans 1, 21. I'm not going to go into that this morning. But, but see, God recognized he saw our greatest need for ourselves to be reconciled to God, for peace to be made between us and God. And so God sent Jesus to be our sin bearer and take upon himself that righteous judgment of God. And in doing that, we are told that our sins or our trespasses are no longer counted against us. Paul says we've been made right with God. There's a change that has taken place 
for a person who comes to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. There is a definitive point in a person's life where if they come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ, that, there is, that they move from one position to another position, from death to life, from darkness to light. You know, we move from, from being children of wrath to children and heirs of God. We've been reconciled, brought into this new relationship with him where we no longer have to be afraid of God's wrath on us anymore. As Paul says in Romans, for, there is, for, for now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This being reconciled to God was transformative in the apostle's life and it needs to be transformative in our lives as well. And finally, Paul says that no longer are we reconciled, but now that we have been reconciled, we have been given a new ministry. We have been given a new purpose. And that is we are to be Christ's ambassadors. We see that in verse 20 of our passage this morning. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. And so we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You might have seen that on the sign as you drove in this morning at the front of the property there. That having now been reconciled to God, God has given each and every one of us a new ministry, a new purpose in our lives. And that ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. Having been reconciled, we are to be going out into the world and seeing more and more people reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ by the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that we are now ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is a representative. You travel down to Canberra and there's a whole street of, of residences, all of these different uh, ambassadors' places, places of residence where uh, you know, ambassadors from all these different countries actually reside in Canberra there. And they've got access, obviously, to the, to, to the federal parliament there. But each one of those residences, each one of those ambassadors' residences are, in fact, little Portions of that country here in Australia. They are little kind of outposts, if you like, of that country. And we ourselves, if you like, are, 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 are these little outposts, if you like, of Christ's kingdom here on this earth. And we are called to represent Christ to our world today. That's what it means to be ambassadors for Christ. Now, I want you to think about that for the moment. Each one of us who call Christ as Saviour and Lord, you are Christ's representative. You represent Jesus Christ here on the face of this planet. Represent Jesus. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? That God would choose us, knowing our character, knowing our weaknesses, knowing our failings, yet he would choose us to be his representatives. 
뭐야? 
Don't you think so? Let's pray. Father, this morning we want to uh, recognise that you are indeed a God who you're not just you know out there and you know sort of just way out there somewhere in the vast expanses of the universe just completely separate from us but that you are a God who is an intimate God a God who loves us so much that you have done everything possible in order for us to be reconciled to you for us to be brought into a new relationship with you that we might know the, uh, the blessings of what it is to, to be a part of your, your kingdom, to be your treasured possession as your child. But Lord, also we recognise that that needs to, to drive us on to want to lay down our lives for you, to give our lives in service for you no matter, no matter what. And that will be in all different kinds of contexts. Yes, it might be in in full-time vocational ministry, but for others it might be there in their workplaces, day after day, week after week, just being a witness for Jesus Christ in those places. It might be in our homes, it might be in our communities, in our school communities, in our sports clubs. Wherever it might be, Lord, we are to be your representatives. Will you help us to be willing to submit and surrender completely to you? to lay down our lives for you like the Apostle Paul's example to us today here in this passage. Not because of the fact that it's something we should do, but because we have been so captivated by your love for us, so captivated of the salvation that you've made possible for us through Jesus Christ. May that, may that take hold of us in such a way as it has never done before. And may we go forward from this place this morning in in that knowledge and in that new commitment to you to be willing to serve you without limit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to uh, close our service this morning, I think quite rightly, around the communion table. So if our stewards would like to come forward, we'll... uh...